Welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, powered by Jetro. Each week, we bring extremely valuable accounting and tax tips specific to small business owners. You will be on your way to growing your business and putting more money in your pockets. Here's your host. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Today's topic, we have a guest host on. We have Liz Brigson from Atomy Valuation, and we're going to be talking about valuation with businesses and and getting into all sorts of fun topics. But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Jetro, a digital accounting firm servicing business owners around the country, helping them relieve stress around financials and saving thousands in taxes. I am your host and founder of Jetro, Mike Jezoshek. So again, I mentioned today that we have a guest host on. We have Liz Brigson from Atomy Valuation. So Liz, if you kind of just want to get started, let us know, what are you guys up to over there? What is kind of the, the things that you guys focus on and, and really help small business owners in? Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on today. Really excited to be here. Atomy Valuation is a second generation business valuation firm. We started as an accounting firm and about 10, 15 years ago, um, we made the decision to focus in specifically on business valuation and litigation services. So we are based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we're just over Lake Michigan from where you are. And we have a presence in Chicago, Lansing, Traverse City. And what's keeping us really busy right now specifically is a lot of estate planning work with the election coming up. There's a lot of business owners who want to put some transition plans in place. Um, And along with estate planning work, we do um, succession planning, we do financial reporting work, a lot of purchase price allocations, um, transactions, we have a litigation services team, and also um, a lot of capabilities in the family law um, divorce space as well. So we have a team of I think just over 20 this week, actually, we just onboarded three new um, analysts. We're really excited about the growth. Definitely a busy time for us. Um, Yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Awesome. So, you know, really when a business, you know, explain kind of the situations of what are the, when when you're talking to business owners, what are kind of the two main reasons or topics that a business owner would come to you guys for help and where you guys help them along? Yeah, absolutely. So two of the primary um, reasons why a company would come to us that relate to what we're going to talk about today are really around succession planning um, and transactions. So those are two of the areas where we serve clients. And um, those, you know, they go very hand in hand. Sometimes succession planning looks like handing the reins of the business down to the next generation or maybe to the management team or maybe to an ESOP. Um, And that kind of segues to the transaction. Sometimes succession planning looks like preparing a business to sell it and wanting to increase the value there. Got it. So when a business owner is kind of starting to first think about, you know, either succession planning or looking to sell their business or want to maybe sell their business sometime down the road. And what are some things that come to mind is what a business owner should be thinking about when it comes to value or what that valuation would be related to their business? Yeah, absolutely. So that's such a great question. And we love having a chance to talk about that, especially for business owners who are able to take some time to put a plan in place. So whether that's a three to five year plan or whether that's a 20 year long term plan, there are you know quite a few areas or sometimes we call them levers that a business can focus on 
to help increase value. And so to answer your question, one of the first areas that you know, we really think about and we talk about um, from the valuation perspective is higher profits and cash flow. So um, that's you know, a really big focus of the valuation methodology is that discounted cash flow and looking at what the business can generate into the future. And there's a couple components of that. Sometimes, you know, when you talk about discounted cash flow and modeling, it sounds a little, um, you know, how do you break that down into actionable um, elements that I can impact today? And so that's where there's a couple areas that we can dive into a little deeper under the higher profits and cash flow umbrella to, you know, help business owners think about ways that they can actually positively impact value this year. And it's, you know, right now it's October and that means we only have about two and a half, a little bit less than that month left to the year. Um, but there's still some things that can be done. So the first category is capital expenditures. So when we think about cash flow, CapEx is one of those really big outflows that, you know, that's not a lump sum hitting your operational income statement, but it's still a lot of cash out the door. And from a valuation perspective, when we look at cash flow, we're looking at cash flow after all that CapEx has been spent. So some of the examples that I really like to think about for cash flow, um, just breaking it down simply, right? For a business to grow, there's oftentimes the need for new facilities, maybe a new office, maybe new trucks, new equipment. And as a business owner, if the cash is available, and Mike, you can you know let me know what you think about this, right? There's always that temptation to say, hey, I wanna go get that brand new truck and I want my fleet of vehicles to be the shiniest, bright and best fleet out there. And there's a balance between what's really going to generate additional profits from that CapEx and what's going to be the nicest, brightest, shiniest object. So, you know, taking all things into consideration, maybe marketing and, you know, the um, persona that comes along with, you know, if someone sees your fleet of trucks out there, finding the right investment on CapEx might not always mean that you need the brightest, best, shiniest equipment or vehicles or office depending upon your industry and your line of work. Love, and what, and, um, what type of conversations do you have with your clients, Mike, around CapEx um, and kind of those, the tension between wanting to get maybe the best, the best and newest versus what can serve the function for the business? Yeah, no, I think that that's a great point to make. And, you know, I, I think we, we, go, we walk through that a lot with clients when there's, when they're deciding on, on things to um, purchase. And, you know, it's kind of funny, there's a big construction company in the area, and all of their vehicles look exactly the same. They're all these kind of big, meaty trucks. And, um, you know, but when you go inside these vehicles, it's literally like bare bones. It's like plastic interior, you know, there's no the radio is just as basic as it comes with probably a cassette player. So they have these, they can, they can still get that flashy and kind of that look where everyone sees that truck, red truck driving down the road. They know exactly what it is. Um, but still the insides are still, you know, they're probably getting really good rates on them simply because they don't have all the technology and features that you would typically have and what you would expect them to have on the inside. So I think that's a great point. And, you know, this, this whole thing, and, and when it comes to valuation that we always have conflict with clients upon is, you know, 
our goal as accountants is saying, how can we help you pay the least amount in taxes as legally possible? So a lot of times we're saying, let's, let's lower your profit because that's what you get taxed on. So how can we find a way to lower your profit? But then you come into the opposite side, which you guys probably deal with is saying you've had a lot of low profit years, you know, that your valuation is kind of shot. So do you run into situations like that where you have a business owner that has been, being aggressive with expenses and, and getting aggressive with deductions to help lower their profit to reduce some taxable income. But then they run into an issue and they say, Hey, we're looking to sell. And you're like, you're nowhere near the valuation that you really could be because of that aggressive behavior that you have on the tax side. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. And it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that like tax mitigation strategy perspective. When we are looking at evaluation, we're looking at financials, we will look at adjusted EBITDA. So what we're doing there is we are normalizing for things that have happened in the business that might be different than what like that outside investor might be investing in based upon um, or how an outside investor might run the business based upon purely the you know operational side of generating cash flow. So there's some adjustments can, that can be made there, but it's so different and so specific for every business that it would really have to get into the facts and the circumstances because if all of those investments that have been made to reduce the tax liability have truly been boosting the profits and the cash flow, then you would have a hard time really justifying making historical adjustments because it helped you get where you are today. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a case by case basis, but definitely a good circumstance to be aware of. Makes sense. Now, you know, you, you've kind of been mentioning this cash flow and like having a high cash flow is obviously something that's that's very good to see. But what happens if you're in a company that has a, a volatile cash flow or that's not as consistent or consistently high? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, you think about different types of industries have very different patterns. So for example, a CPG company might have um, a lot of products that they're selling on a consistent recurring basis, and they're probably going to have smoother cash flow. And a company, for instance, like a construction company might be in a position where they're seeing a lot more ups and downs because their pipeline is built and driven by the projects that they have and the projects that are coming in the door. So when there's instances with a company that has a lot of movement in cash flow, that's typically an area where the leadership team can come together and focus on putting some strategies in place to figure out why that volatility is there and what type of products and services they can add that are complementary to their their offering. So one of the best examples that I've seen is having a construction company introducing monitoring and maintenance services or kind of a subscription model that the customers who, for instance, a roofing company, the customers might have a new roof installed, but then they may pay a recurring fee so that if there's a problem, if there's a big storm, they know they're getting priority treatment for the roofers to come out to their facility and fix their roof first. And so that's kind of an example of where a very somewhat cyclical construction industry might be able to think creatively to introduce a little bit more stability into their cash flow. 
Yeah, I, I love that idea and, and kind of working in um, ways to, to kind of increase that cash flow and also obviously bring higher valuation, having a recurring type subscription and a business that's not very recurring um, yeah. is definitely you know a nice setup. And I think pricing, uh, pricing strategy is fascinating. I think, you know, there's, it's adding possibly a product or service, but it could also be just rethinking the pricing strategy. Maybe there's, instead of having a customer order, you know, for instance, my, um, my protein shake, I have the option to get a 20% subscription if I want that to show up every 90 days. And so what that does is it keeps, you know, it keeps me on that subscription and it allows the company to have a better sense of their future revenue because they are adding a subscription. So I think that's a, a good example on the consumer side of things, even with a CPG type company that might be doing more retail, there's still opportunities there to introduce a subscription model. Makes sense. So I, I just have a question. Like if you have a business, let's say I'm, I'm running a, a, an a, a electrical company and I'm saying, you know, I'd really like to kind of settle down and, and sell this business. And that could be anywhere from the next six months to 10 years from now. What is an ideal situation where someone in that situation should be sitting down and, and talking with uh, a service or a consultant or someone on the valuation side to say, here are some things that we need to do to prepare you to make your business better for sale. And so I, I can't imagine it, you know, if I want to sell today, it probably is you'd like some additional warning or there's some things that I can do within my business over the course of a couple of years to make my potential sale price be a little bit more attractive. So what is that time frame? I'm sure it's different for everybody, but what is a time frame that you would typically recommend somebody that plans to build a business to sell, to start thinking about that valuation piece? The, the general like rule of thumb is three to five years. I think that there are certain things that can be done within 12 months. So when we talked about improving profits and cash flow, we talked about capital expenditures and controlling CapEx to the right level. So that's, that's one thing that can be done on the short term. Another that can be done on the short term is looking at working capital. And that really can be as simple as making sure you're collecting your accounts receivable on a timely basis and examining the, um, your payables terms, right? So you want to collect receivables fast and pay payables, um, not stretch your vendors, but at least um, you know, use the terms that you have with your vendors. So those are the things like on the shorter term, if someone's saying, I want to do this in 12 months, those are a couple of levers. In the middle term, let's say three to five years, along with the short term levers. So now we're thinking a lot about reducing risk and introducing stability and predictability into the business. So if someone has a three to five year time frame, then they're probably thinking a lot about what we talked about, which is how can we make cash flow more predictable? And then a couple other elements of reducing risk that can really have a pretty significant impact on value. Um, one is customer diversification. So you think about the value that a company, in your case, an electrical services firm is building up in their relationships. So depending on if they are, you know, someone who would be like your traditional yellow book where they're getting called by people in the community, or maybe they have a subcontracting relationship with a general contractor, um, the relationships that they have on their customer list and their referral list are very, very valuable. And so investing in those lists and having diversification can really impact value. So if 
you know, there's an electrician out there and they're doing 80% of their work with one builder, that's low diversification. That would be considered higher risk because if something happens to that one relationship or that one builder goes out of business, that really significantly impacts the company. But if the company has relationships with five builders or if they are going direct to residential and they have, you know, five thousand, five, well, depending on right the size of the community, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 people on their marketing list that they have per, like, personally provided services to, those lists are very valuable and they really reduce risk because they're introducing a lot of diversification. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an awesome point. Um, I think somewhere along that same line is let's say you have an electrical electrician and there's a five person company. So electrician plus four employees Mm -hmm. and you have, you're talking at two identical companies, but one where one electrician is working 80 hours, 90 hours a week. And another one where that electrician, the owner is working 20, 30 hours a week. Does that play a role into it a lot? I, we oftentimes are talking to clients and, and you know, we're saying the best way to kind of increase your value or make your business more valuable in the eyes of a purchaser is not having you necessarily as involved in that business because it shows that that business doesn't need you to be able to survive. They can survive or at least operate without you. So is that, is that also kind of, I'm assuming that plays along the same lines of what you're talking about there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going along with what you're talking about. So that's really like the depth of your employee workforce and the depth of your management team. And so to talk a little bit specifically about valuation methodology, when we're coming up with the discount rate for evaluation project, the higher the discount rate, the lower the value. The discount rate essentially estimates what an investor, um, what type of return an investor will demand based upon the risk they're taking. So when we're looking at building up the discount rate, there's a few things that we're looking at, which is, you know, what, what's your, you're building it up. What's your return on the treasury? That's your lowest risk investment, a 20 year treasury. And then you're going to build that on top of that. What about the return from the stock market? And then you're going to build on that an industry premium possibly. And then what we have is the company specific risk premium. And that's where what you are talking about that's how that gets factored into the valuation. Because if you have an electrician who's working 80 or 90 hours a week, maybe they might have, they might be crushing it on the revenue front. But if they are really the sole person that can provide those services and they don't have the team and the infrastructure to deploy those services, it's not as repeatable. And it's hard to sell a business if the business's value is based upon one person being the owner the visionary, the um, person with the bank relationships, the person with the customer relationships, if that's all on one person's shoulders, it's a really high element of risk. It shows short management depth and that company specific risk premium will go up. On the flip side, as you're talking about, and it sounds like, you know, this is great advice that you're sharing with your clients. If you have the owner who has maybe you know, an office manager, or depending upon the size of the firm, like an operate director of operations. And if they're able to help make some of those strategic business decisions, if there's, you know, some scheduling software in place, and there's teams that are available to be deployed to work on projects, 
that's really going to show on the office side, the management depth, and on the staff side, it's gonna show just a lot more strength in the capabilities, which would reduce the company's specific risk premium, which increases the valuation. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Like, uh, as, a, as you come into a business owner, I think no one starts out thinking, okay, I'm going to start. A lot of people don't start out picturing the end game where they're going to sell, but that's where mm-hmm. most of these kind of small businesses, family businesses eventually get to a point where there is a time to sell. Or as you talked about in the beginning, where there's a succession plan, you know, you're selling to the kids or something like that, or the employees. Um, but it's, it's amazing that, you know, how many different things come into play. And, and I always wonder that if someone had that end game in mindset saying, I'm going to start a business today and I plan to sell it in 20 years. Mm-hmm. If they have that mindset, there's so many different things that they can do differently from the beginning. You know, they might say, I'm never working over 40 hours, no matter what it does, I'm going to have to hire staff. I'm going to have to take a pay cut, whatever I need to do just to ensure that my business doesn't grow lopsided where all of a sudden I'm 10 years in and working my butt off and now I can't go back and try to change that just because that's just how the business has been built and it's very hard to adapt to that. And so I think, you know, hearing a lot of what you're talking about can be super helpful for these small business owners that even if you're not planning to sell or don't know if you'll ever sell, um, these are things that can definitely help you, I think, even make your business more efficient. It's not just about potentially selling, but if you're creating more value or your valuation is going up in your business, that likely means that there's good things happening now before you even sell too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, that's such, such a great point that it's a mindset. You said mindset and it's so much about the mindset because I think we kind of grow up hearing like, you know, you've got to, got to work hard. You've got to make it. And so it's a little bit how I think we are programmed to think, I need to be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week in my business to make it successful. And in fact, you can have a better quality of life and increase your business value by sharing those responsibilities a little bit more. And I do think that there's a a very direct relationship to mindset and thinking about things a little bit differently than how, you know, maybe we've been, been trained or raised to think about about those things yeah no that's awesome i i think that what we discussed here is going to be you know incredibly useful especially for listeners that are listening clients of ours that are that are in that stage of either maybe not selling today or maybe not selling tomorrow but you know that that's likely on the roadmap somewhere down the line so um i know that you have a few articles that we're going to include that kind of touch on a lot of the topics that we discussed today so i'll put those in the show notes for um listeners to check those out uh, but as far as if someone's interested in reaching out to you, le- learning to get evaluation or w- just want more information, kind of what you guys do, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, so best way to get in contact with me with directly is my email address. So lbrigson at adamyvaluation.com. And Mike, maybe you might want to pop that into the show notes as well. Um, yeah. But I'm on LinkedIn and I really enjoy connecting on LinkedIn. So that's probably the best place to find me. Okay. Awesome. Well, Liz, I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on and and share some of these these incredible insights with uh, business owners. So thank you for jumping on and, and we'll connect soon. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Great talking with you. Really love this topic. So looking forward to next time. Awesome. Thank you. Now, one last thing before I go, don't forget to check out our podcast website at www 
www.jetrotax.com. Simply click resources and then podcast where you can go there and check out our past episodes. Also, don't forget to join our free bookkeeping training program and free Facebook group. I've provided links to both of these in the show notes below. This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast from the team at Jetro. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on and share with other business owners. If you have any questions or future topics you want to hear, email them to tax at jetrotax.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.